Hey, security peeps, we are live with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping amazing, A, demystifying cybersecurity for people, and then helping leaders hire amazing talent. And it is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. We are going live every day for the month of October. So we are on day 11 right now. It's October 11th. And I am super excited to have my guest here today, Ozzy A. And she's going to pronounce her own name because she gave me a little, <laughs> a little uh, tutorial and I failed. <laughs> and it doesn't, it doesn't matter how long you do this tutorial. You probably are not going to get it. And I'm very sorry. So she, so funny story. I invited Ozzy to come on and she said, you know, I said, what's your full name? And she told me her full name. She emailed me and I said, okay. You know, and she said, you know, I'm from Nigeria and it's difficult to pronounce. And I said, I'm honorary Niger. My best friends are from Nigeria. <laughs> my best friends are from Nigeria. <laughs> it's true. My two best friends are from Nigeria or their families from Nigeria. Um, and I was like, I got this down. And then we get on the we get on the pre-call for the podcast. No, you don't. Yeah, she she just she shut me down. So Ozzy, um, a couple of different things about Ozzy. Ozzy is um, pretty awesome. You know, broke into the industry a few years ago, was an international student here in the U.S. Um, so bringing that layer of difficulty with trying to break in, which I know I hear a lot of that from um, people who are trying to break into the industry and they're in other countries and they want to know like how difficult it is, or they may be here in the United States, uh, but on student visas or, you know, work visas and things like that. So Ozzy, jump right in. Talk to me about, first of all, pronounce your name for everybody. <laughs> and then talk to us about um, about your journey breaking into um, security. And you could start with the hundreds of applications that you put in while you oh were- Oh my God, hundreds. Uh, well, 250 for LinkedIn alone, last time I checked. And this is not including- um, ZipRecruiter, um, Glassdoor, Indeed, you know, I mean, I'm trying to be conservative here. It could be easily 400 plus of applications across all of the job boards I ever used, you know. And I know people who have done even more, you know. And this was over a period of five to six months, you know, sending out those applications. You know, it could be way more than that because I know there were days when I would sit at my laptop and, you know, churn out the applications, 20 per day, sometimes 30 per day, depending on how many, how much time I had, you know, and this was in my last semester of school. So along with projects and everything else going on, it was basically a lot of work. Honestly, it was, yeah, but I'm glad. I mean, in the end, all you need is one yes, right? And I was very, very opportune to find that. And that's here I am right now. So how did this all start? Um, I'm gonna go the long route because I assume we have you know, like some time, you know. So um, back to kid me, me as a kid, I've always been curious about stuff, you know. I'm just like, I look at this strange thing, I'm like, okay, so how does this work, you know? And it always results in me breaking up stuff, you know? Like I was that person who my mom's family, adults would come around, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's a shiny new stuff you have there. Can I look at it? They're like, yeah, sure, have it. I'm like, oh my God, I think it's broken. You can have it back now. So 
I was that person. Okay, so naturally, my curiosity led me to computers when we had the first computer in our house. So I would spend a lot of time on it, playing games, just playing around. Like I was just fascinated by the whole thing, you know. So uh, I, the time came for me to go to college and naturally was like, okay, so I really like computers. I'm curious about this thing. I want to learn more about this. So what degree will help me get that? My first thought was computer science. And of course, I am independent. My parents are paying for my tuition. They're the ones who get to make the final decision anyway. So I'm like, yay, mom, I want to do computer science. And she's like, wait, what? No, you can't do that. I, I don't want to spend all that money on you. And then you're going to end up like this guy down the street who owns a cyber cafe. He's a freaking loser. No. So I'm like, okay, fine. What is the next thing? Maybe I can do computer engineering, right? She's like, nah, your brother got that one. You're good. You, you should find something else, you know? Then- What did your parents want you to do? Well, they, well, my mom wanted me to be a doctor. She wanted me to be a doctor. And after everything now, I asked her, I'm like, okay, so what do you think would have happened if I became a doctor? Because I feel like I'm that kind of person who I'm in surgery and then, they open up someone's body. I'm like, oh my God, is that a human heart? Oh my God, I think he's dead now. <laughs> I'm that kind of person. So I'm like, the medical industry is thanking you for not pushing me <laughs> down that route, honestly. <laughs> so I, I wasn't allowed to do computer engineering. Then I'm like, okay, so electrical engineering sounds good, right? My dad says, no, that is for men only. It's not for ladies. I'm like, okay. So I settled on chemical engineering, eventually spent five years of my life that I will never get back, you know? So come, while I was in school then, I, I, just, I, just, I used to hang out with my friends in computer science in electrical engineering because I was just fascinated about this whole thing. I wanted to get to know, you know, what is this computer thing? I just wanted to understand what it was about. You know, so I would tag along with them as a way of living vicariously through them. They're, they're talking stuff like, hey, man, did you write that Python script? I'm like, yo, man, yeah, I'm writing scripts too. I'm with the guys, you know. So I just wanted to belong in some kind of way. You know, I just wanted to. But I knew I knew I somehow I couldn't do that. So somewhere before, before I finished school, I told myself, okay, I think I will have to go back to school. And somewhere, somehow finally go in for an IT-related course that would get me back on track because I felt all of that time I was wasting away. I felt like there was so much I could have learned that I wanted to, but I just couldn't for because I settled for chemical engineering. So <clears throat> straight out of school, you know, did a mandatory um, one-year service in my country. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, this is for cultural integration. So they send you to another part of the country that you do not come from, where you do not live in, so you stay there and just do community service, help people, teach people and all of that. Mm -hmm. Did that for a year. And then the time came, all right, I'm out of this. I need a job. So I was unable to find a job in chemical engineering, which was disappointing because I was hoping to give that a second chance. Instead, I landed a job at a bank as a salesperson, no less. And believe me when I tell you, that was the worst work stint of my life. I found out within a few months, sales just wasn't for me. You know, cause it looked like it looked more like corporate begging than sales, and I was hugely disappointed. What you were know. you selling? Well, I was working at a bank, so it's basically get customers to open accounts with us, and the customers you already have, get them to put in more money. But the market is very tough, very competitive. You know, it's basically if you have a good value offering, 
that the customer will be like, oh, okay, sure, I, I want to join you. But it was kind of tough, very tough to find anyone, you know. And this is coupled with other on-the-work, you know, worries and concerns because you had every couple of months, there would be a management performance review where you could walk in as an employee. And if your manager really doesn't like you, you're going to get out and you're going to lose your job just yeah. like that. So I was very fortunate to be blessed with a manager. Her name is Ngozi Aruma. You know, very, very wonderful person. She's very experienced in the banking industry. So she kind of saw my struggles and she used her influence, used her power to pull accounts into my name. So when the time came for the sales figures to be collected, she would pull accounts into my name. So it would look like I had grown. So basically she sustained me throughout the time I was there until I decided I had to leave. So I spoke with HR. I want to get into the IT department. They're like, well, no, we can't get you into IT, but there is this other department looking for people, which was e-banking operations, the, the group that specializes in card transactions, basically. So I joined them, you know, that was where I really had that time and freedom to really play around with computers. Like every now and then I would look at um, the devices running on my system, the processes, the drivers. I'm like, oh, so what does this do? Or sometimes there would be issues with my computer and I would troubleshoot them myself before the IT guy ever came in. You know, so it was just one of those things it was my way of keeping my dream alive, my vision alive, you know. So while I was working there, I think 2016, 2017, there was the WannaCry North Petia attack mm-hmm. that hit, ravaged, ravaged lots of hospitals in the UK. And then the central bank, that's the governing body of um, banking regulations, banking um, transactions in Nigeria. They sent a letter to every bank saying, you guys need to be careful. This attack is going on and we could be victims. So just giving instructions and all of that. So I saw that around that time, I was researching schools where I would like to, you know, go for a master's degree, maybe in IT technology or something that could get me into IT. So at that time, I already had admission with, um, I think, Georgia State University for computer and information systems. And then the more I learned about this WannaCry thing, I researched about it. I'm like, what does this ransomware thing do? From there, it was like, oh, ransomware is a part of threats. I'm like, okay, so what is threats? And it's like cybersecurity. I'm like, oh, wow, this looks like a fantastic field. So what is cybersecurity? Oh, you have blue team stuff. You do this. I'm like, this looks very, very interesting. I think I want to venture into this field. You know, it just had like so many things. You could, you could literally get lost in it, you know, so... I, I told the school, like, okay, I want to do cybersecurity. Like, well, we do not have cybersecurity as a standalone major, but as a concentration within CIS. I'm like, okay, that's good enough. Mm-hmm. But I eventually got here. Then I switched to another school to study cybersecurity proper. And I would say, I would say that that was one of the, the best decisions I ever made in my life. I enjoyed my time there. I enjoyed all of the courses because we touched almost every area a good curriculum could touch. You know, I just kind of cemented in my mind that, yes, you know, this is where I need to be. This is where I wanted to be. So my last semester, time came like, OK, so I should be looking at getting a full time job now. So I should start putting out applications. Then the struggle began, you know. So one of the struggles I went through was, you know, international students will also, you know, identify with me on this. When you see the dreaded question that says, Will you now or in the future require sponsorship to continue working in the U.S.? I know. And I'm like, do I say yes? Do I say no? Because something tells me that if I say yes, 
they will reject me. Something tells me that if I say no, they might accept me. But then when they find out, they might kick me out. So it's a dilemma. And I went through that a lot. So it was one of the things that got me down because a lot of times you are not sure. Are you rejected because you're not a fit? Or are you rejected because they don't even want to touch you because of your status as an international student? Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, it was a tough time, you know, but I, I kept going, I kept going. And anytime I was down, I had friends around me, I would talk to, and they'll be like, oh no, you know what, keep going, keep going, you know, just do your best. There's someone that's going to reach out to you. And it was like, I described that time as, you know, being a traveler, you know, who has run out of supplies and you're knocking from door to door in a town, hoping that someone will look at you and be like, hey, man, you look hungry, you look tired, come in, I'm going to give you. And I finally got that break in in, in January through um, Tony Wells. Tony Wells, she's a fantastic person, by the way, you should meet her, you know. So she reached out to me. I, I And at this time, I had already, I was in a mood where I was like, I'd given up. I was tired. So I was basically winging it. I just saw this posting somewhere. I'm like, eh, I can probably do 50% of this. You know what? It's whatever. They'll probably reject me. Then I applied. She reached out to me the next day and she's like, hey, I just saw your profile. Your profile looks good. I'm like, "Ah, if she says so, okay. You know, then a couple of weeks after she says, are you still open? Would like to interview you, you know? So did the interview and within, within two weeks of my first interview, got an offer for my first role in InfoSec. And that was the first offer I had ever gotten after more than 500 applications. Wow. You know, so it's intense. It's, it's crazy, but in the end, all you need is a single yes, you know, so it just persists and keep on going, persist, keep on going, persist, keep on going, you know? So one of the things that helped me during that time, you know, I think it was in the month of December when I was really down. I mean, everybody else is happy around me. I'm like, yay, I just graduated school. I'm happy, but I have 60 days to find a job. If I don't find a job, I am in trouble. So that was an additional pressure that I had on me. So I was very sad one day. I was, I was going through LinkedIn and then um, Katoria Henry put up a post about getting a new role and she just got out of school like, oh, wow, congratulations. You know, I'm so happy for you. I feel so I sad right now for jobs and all of that. And then she just encourages me. She's like, yo, 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 don't slow down. Keep going and all of that, you know. So Katoria Harry, very wonderful person. I would say she was she was one of those people who lifted me, who she was, she was one of those people who actually shone a light on my dark situation at that time, you know, by giving me encouragement and all of that. She's like, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to connect with other people. She connected me with Katia Dean, and that's how I expanded my network. I got you in, you know, added lots of other people, you know. It was like, it was like a breath of fresh air, finally. I was dying at some point, and she coming into, you know, my life and inspiring me, encouraging me, advising me, just kind of opened up a whole new, you know, a whole new thing for me. It made me feel energized all over again. And then shortly after that, I got the call from the recruiter, Tony Wells, and yeah, got my interview. So that's how I ended up with my first role in InfoSec. What a journey. Uh, Patrick Moten says, wonderful when you said all you need is that one yes and oh, yeah. we put that up there and he's i mean what a journey 
he says oh, yeah. here, what a journey. Um, someone else says, I just missed the who made these comments. Um, says, great persistence. This is Robel. Oh, yeah. Robel B, great persistence and determination. And that is absolutely, absolutely true. Rolanda, Rolanda Jackson says, awesome. Um, I heard, I mean, your story is so inspirational to me and you're so right. Katoria, I mean, there's so many things to unpack in your, in your, in your story, but Katoria Henry is, you know, she was on here uh, two weeks ago or so, almost two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Her story is just phenomenal. And to be able to give that inspiration um, to you and um, be a beacon of hope for you is, it's so it's so needed in this space. And, you know, the reason why I have you on and I had her on and everyone that's coming to really talk about their journey because it is difficult um, to break in, but then you're in, you know, there's so much support around trying to get people who want in, in. Um, And we are doing everything that we can to make sure that happen and demystify what's going on. Because what I appreciate and what I really, really like about your story is that a couple different things, you know, you talk about, you talk about your parents um, and, you know, I know Nigerian parents. That's why I said, what do they mean? <laughs> I have heard about Nigerian parents, um, doctor, lawyer, like that's it. Yeah. Um, doctor, lawyer, engineer, accountant, <laughs> pharmacist, any, like, see, in my case, in my case, well, five of us, right? I'm the second. So she pegged my brother to be an engineer pegged me to be a doctor. My sister after me pegged her to be a lawyer. Then the next one, pharmacist, and the other one, um, like some kind of business guy or something. We are all doing something different now. <laughs> so funny, so funny. I think parents that, you know, like, and I think I think we get this a lot with immigrant parents as, as a whole, you know. Um, my parents are from the Caribbean and it was very much, you know, trying to a hard science, math, like, you know, like something that is um, more technical. Uh, but Nigerian parents in particular, it's just so, so funny because almost every <laughs> friend that I have, it's, yeah, my one of my best friends is a pharmacist. Um, my other really, really, another best friend of mine, he's, uh, you know, deep in technology now getting his PhD. But yes, very much, you know, it's either, it's a handful of things and that's it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I hear that from a lot of Indian Americans too, and just people, you oh, know, yeah. like so, um, that's pretty funny. And then going to school, getting a chemical engineering degree. But what I, so I'm, I'm curious about the one thing that you said was about your dad saying that electrical engineering was more for men. I was, yeah. I'm just, I was just curious about that because chemical engineering, like, so they were okay with the, you know, the doctor, the chemical engineering, all that other stuff, but electrical engineering, he said, no, that's a more of a guy's field. Well, I think he, he was coming from the perspective of him being an electrical engineer himself. Oh, uh, okay. So he's a marine electrical engineer. He works on cargo ships. So basically the electrical stuff you probably do for buildings, he does it on a ship. So I think his perspective was limited to that. And so he's like, oh man, if you're going to be an electrical engineer, you probably work on a ship. You're lifting loads, you're doing this, you're going to be climbing ladders and stuff. Nope, not for girls, no. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that was the perspective. Okay, cool. And then, so again, so you're a chemical engineer and I just want to let everyone know that joined later. I'm on with Ozzy A. She's a security engineer, security engineer, security analyst. Security engineer. Engineer at Macy's. Um, um, uh, Just, I mean, such an inspiring story. So 
um, and got into the field, what, two and a half years ago? Um, 2019, last year. So one year, one and a half year, not two years yet. But no, over yet. Yeah. I, I did I did my master's degree in twenty I started in twenty seventeen. I graduated in twenty eighteen. Okay. Then I got my first role early twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Right. Yeah. So less than two years in the field. Um was working in Nigeria in a bank <laughs> selling financial products, which is awesome. Chemical engineering background, then transitioned, came over to the US. Um, to go to school to get her master's in security or the master's in, in um, information systems and then trans transferred over to a, a security-based master's um, and is now, you know, is talking about her journey. And one of the things, Ozzy, that you talked about that you touched on just now was the application part. Well, two, uh, actually, there's a number of things. First and foremost, the application process within, on a dish, in addition to just the hardcore nature of trying to break in as an as a um, you know as a college grad, right? The international student part, and mm. I can imagine. I've never been in this position, but I hear because I've recruited a number of people who either have OPT visas or F one or H one B, and you know the various visas T T M, but that's mostly Canada and stuff. So that's relatively used to be relatively easy. I don't know what it's like now. Mm. Um, but talking to people who have had, you know, visas in the, the very first question, like you said, on that application says, will you now or ever need sponsorship? And it's such a, you know, for, for international students, that's such a tough question because mm -hmm. you have some, you know, you on the one hand, you don't want you want to you don't want to waste your time. You not you don't really know if a company will can sponsor you will or is willing to sponsor you there's so many you know there's so many pieces of the puzzle when it comes to that um and from you know giving my experience of being on the inside of companies who have sponsored some have sponsored some have not some it depends on the role so for certain positions and certain departments you can sponsor so it's really such a case-by-case -case situation um so, you know, how did you feel? You, you said that that was really frustrating and you didn't know and you, you so I, I definitely wanted to, to dig into that and if there's any advice that you would give other international students because I get this one so often around yeah. that visa, check in the box because you're right. If you check yes and then we invite you in for an interview but the company cannot um, sponsor you, it's just a complete waste of time for everybody. Oh yeah. Oh, and I know that because I actually did, I did that and it happened <laughs> just as I said it would. So it was, it was, I think it was a, it was a fintech company based in Chicago, you know, so I applied first, you know, at first I'm like, hey, I don't want to lie. I just want to let you know. Ah, by the way, that doesn't mean that I have lied in all of my previous applications afterwards. Okay. <laughs> but this is how I started. I started innocently. I'm like, Okay, so this is how I am. So I just need to let you all know this is how I am. So I filled everything out. The dreaded question came up. I said yes. And as soon as I did that, I got the rejection in a few hours. You know, then I'm like, what? Like, in my mind, I think I was fully convinced in my mind that it wasn't because I didn't meet the requirements that I was rejected. And I wanted to test that. So I filled in another application using another email. This time I unchecked. I checked no. And the next day I got an invite for an assessment, you know? So I went for, I did the assessment. I think I passed. Then I was invited for an in-person interview, you know, 
I don't know what came off of that, but during the interview, and there are interviews like this, where you talk with everybody, you feel like, oh man, I think I vibe with everybody. I'm going to get this job. And the next day, boom, you're rejected. You know, so those ones, those are, those are the shittiest interviews ever. <laughs> and that was, that was a similar one with this company, okay? Because it looked like maybe after, in spite of everything that happened in the interview, they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't think, I, I feel like she she's not a citizen and we don't want that kind of problem. So we should probably kick her out. Now, I don't know exactly why, but I do know that after the interview, yeah. a couple of days after I got a rejection and I just had to assume that it was because of that because there was no other reason you know, there was no other reason. I didn't, I didn't, you know, flop on the interview. I wasn't blubbering. Like I said, I answered all the questions. They gave it to me. I gave it back to them and all of that stuff, you know. So I just had to assume that that was the reason why. And someone on LinkedIn, I think he's in the UK, actually tested this out where he submitted his resume with an English sounding name. You know, before then he had been applying for multiple jobs, you know, so, but he wasn't getting any calls back. But he, when he changed his name to an English sounding name, oh my God, the calls came pouring in. So he did a video of that and he's like, yeah, guys, what do you think about this? So that's another thing that could be going on to where they look at your name and are like, doesn't sound so American. I don't think we want to do this and that sort of thing, you know. And of course, there's your background in the resume. So they just put two and two together and decide, okay, we don't want to do this. So... Yeah, I know, I know, I know that was, I know that happens for you because I tested it and I can say, yes, it definitely does happen. Yeah, so you were, you were testing the system and I want to, I want to share with you a little bit of behind the scenes of what happens specifically with um, international students, um, you know, when it comes to visas. So typically what happens, so there's, there's two pieces to that that I want to unpack. The first is the um, the sponsorship. So every company doesn't or can't sponsor um, folks that are international. Um, it is very expensive to sponsor people, what have you. Usually the larger companies have a more robust system for doing this. Yeah. Um, they have, you know, immigration attorneys, they have departments and some companies I've worked with that where you have a whole depart you have a department where somebody's just working on you know bringing in people that are international um and they'll tell you like what visas are are we can we can move forward with you know depending on which roles and as a recruiter and as someone inside of HR you know we get briefed or we partner with these um, with these specialists. It's usually like an immigration specialist or an immigration attorney. Um, if, the, if, the, if the organization doesn't have like some kind of immigration attorney on the inside, they usually have, or an immigration like department or specialist on the inside, they'll have someone that's like a retained counsel. And mm -hmm. so I'll give you a, a really good example. Last year, I worked with this one company, um, a fintech company, and they did not have that person, that expertise on the inside. So I was uh, supporting them for, as a consultant on the inside, and they partnered me up with their immigration attorney. And if a question came by, you know, because every role is it's very case by case, it's like it's very, very nuanced and detailed. So I would say to them, 
this person has this type of visa, this is the expiration date, this is this, this is that, are they, can they move forward in the process? Because we knew that yes, they did sponsor, but that didn't mean they could sponsor every single person for every single role. It's very, very, very case by case. So Mm -hmm. sometimes what happens is, you know, people obviously are eager because you want to stay in the, you know, you want to stay in the country, you're here, all this stuff, you want an opportunity. And so what happens is think what you just did, which is, you check yes, everything else, you come in, everything looks good. And then when they do the real, they realize like, we can't bring this person on. Like for whatever reason, it's either that role isn't eligible or they can't fund it, or, you know, they don't have even an immigration department or anything to be able to do stuff like that, or, you know, counsel, things like that. So I don't know which company it was, but usually the larger ones have a pretty robust process and can tell yeah. you straight up if they can or can't. And then the smaller ones usually can't do it because it's just nuanced, very, very nuanced. Yeah. Um, the second piece of what you talked about is the unconscious bias and even potentially conscious bias. And yes, there've been studies that people see names and they're like, you know, oh, if it's, you know, Amy versus, you know, Tamika or, you know, an international sounding name or like a name that's not a quote unquote American sounding or. It's definitely something that we want to, um, you know, make people aware of. I think a lot of the things that come up in terms of biases, unconscious, uh, a lot of it is unconscious, you know, like you just see things and you're just moving along and you automatically make assumptions um, and raising that up and, and the folks mostly in the HR will try to do like different types of trainings, like make a, make people aware, like, Hey, this is what's happening. You know, you see a, you see a different name where I, I remember um, reading an article about, a leader telling someone completely like change their name, like a whole different name or something, or no, it was in a university where the person, and I believe the person was from China and they didn't want to call them by that name. They gave them a different name and all that kind of stuff. So, so yes, that kind of stuff does definitely does happen. Um, and you know, it's unfortunate, um, but it, it has in, in, in different yeah. industries. So a couple, co- go ahead, Ozzy, and then I'm going to take some comments. Yeah, for, well, for me, in my own case, it was like, okay, so this is a STEM major, actually, which means that I have a year of work authorization, which can be extended to two years, which means I have three years. So a lot of times it's like, I just want a way in. I just want that chance. Okay, you don't have to sponsor me now. You don't have to try to sponsor me now. However, how will I get that experience if I don't get that chance? You know, so a lot of it was just give me the chance. Okay. I don't care if you're going to sponsor me. Just give me the chance. I just want to work. I just want to be here. I just want to make something of my life. So that was what it was, you know, for me. And I'm sure it's like that for so many people, because it's like, even if you're going to try to sponsor me, you have at least three, you know, three chances to do that. You know, so why would you look at me and decide you're an international student, we don't even want to touch it, like don't even bother. I understand in the case of smaller companies who do not have a robust system of handling immigration cases, but I mean, bigger companies definitely have all of that in place. However, if you can, it's like you have three chances to do this. So any other reason other than this person is not qualified, it just comes down to 
this person is exotic sounding, the names is exotic sounding, they're international students, and so we probably don't want to touch that, you know. But they will never tell you, you know, I guess it's illegal to say, because that would mean that we are admitting because you're in a special class, we didn't give you this job, and, you know, litigation and all of that, I don't know. So I, um, I want to give my, only my experience, because um, I don't know, I've never worked in every single company. So I definitely want to make, I want to make sure that I give my, so from my personal experience, because I, um, and I, and I, you know, the, the whole world has biases, right? Yeah. But when it comes to experience and, I, you know, I've been doing this for a very, very long time. My experience has been, it's either, it typically is more from a business um a business standpoint, like what, whatever the business it's very kind of, it's not individualized per se. It's based on the role in the company. So mm -hmm. if a position is slated that, yes, we can bring in international students, we can bring in either OPT students or people on different visas. So non-US citizens or non-US permanent residents, it's position by position versus individual, if that makes sense. So if I'm, so imagine if you're sitting and, and we are, you know, I'm the, I'm the person going through applicants for a role. Um, it's really like, okay, I know of the 20 positions. So thinking, you know, and I went, through, I went over this yesterday a little bit with HR. So these are some good, this is a, a really good topic because, and I'm not the expert in it. I've been kind of I've done a lot of IT recruiting over the years, so it definitely comes up. It came up in, a, I just filled a role probably very recently, and it was a question that came up, like, can, can I recruit people who have visas? Will you sponsor? You know, and it's very, very case by case versus individual. So I know on the individual side, it may look like, oh, it's against me as a person, but typically yeah. it's against a role. So it's mm -hmm. like, okay, for this, I'm going to pick a role. For this architect role where we need this level of, you know, we have this particular role, yes, we can hire. Um, and, the, the, you know, the people typically have, let's say, for example, I'm, I want to hire for a cloud architect. Mm -hmm. And that cloud architect has um, 10 years of experience, you, you know, for the role, the role, this is, this is the position. This is not an individual. The position says they got to have cloud experience. They need 10 years. They need this. They need that. They need a bachelor's, whatever it is, whatever the qualifications are. I will go to my immigration specialist and say, is this role eligible for me to bring in people who have visas? And the immigration specialist will say yes or no. <laughs> you know? So then I can proceed and say, okay, now that these, if she says yes, or he says yes, and I can proceed by bringing in, you know, looking at applicants that have, that have checked the box that said, I will need sponsorship. Um, I can bring those people in. But if she told me no, then I can't bring, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be getting into a, like, it's, it's a waste of everyone's time. If I'm talking to the immigration person, the immigration person says, I can't do anything with this because they are the specialists in the space. Yeah. So I just want you to be aware. And I want people to be aware that it's a lot. Um, it's, it's, it tends to be very, very nuanced um, when it comes to these roles from my experience um, working on a number of roles. I've worked on a number of, I've done IT recruiting for a long time. Um, and then also outside of IT, some of the, um, 
some of the sciences, some of the finance positions, like quant analysts, like very nuanced, there's certain nuanced positions where almost always they're like, yes, we will, you know, we'll sponsor for this one. But I could have like 20 positions and they'll sponsor one and not sponsor the other 19. It's very, very nuanced and very, very case by case. So I just want to make you aware of that. Yeah, yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for that. That was very insightful. You know, it also comes down to the whole thing of um, even if you are rejected, there is a tendency to take it personally. Like, mm -hmm. oh my God, it's me. There's something wrong with me. But a lot of times it's not personal. You know, it could be in some cases. It may not be in other cases, but there's no way you can know. But the easiest way for you to move on is to look at it as it's probably a business reason. It's not personal, you know. So on to the next one, pretty much. I I agree with that 100%, Ozzy. I mean, one of the things that I used to tell people all the time is that um, there's so many pieces to interviewing and so many pieces to job hunting. Um, and there's so many layers going on behind the scenes that people have no idea about. Yeah. So you have internal candidates, you have people's family and friends that they want to bring in, you have like so many pieces to the puzzle. So when you drop in there and you happen to get this interview and you are one of, I don't know, half a dozen people or 10 people that they interview and they tell you, you know, you didn't get it because they gave it to an internal candidate or they may not tell you anything at all, yeah. which is kind of unfortunate. Um, so then people are like standing in the dark, like, why didn't I get this job? Like I went to all these interviews, I didn't get anything. But mm -hmm. a lot, a lot, a lot of the time, it has to do with just all types of factors that are completely out of your control that has absolutely nothing to do with you as an individual yeah. so you know what I tell people I try to tell I try to bring this up very very often especially when people get discouraged and and I I tell, I tell them look at it like a game and um I think it was Jason Blanchard that was on and he kind of talked about that too like it's a job hunt like a, imagine you know you're out there you're hunting you're getting you're looking for something and almost look at it like a little bit of a game, like, okay, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna put my all in, but I am not gonna take a lot of this stuff personally because A, it's draining, B, 99% of the times it's not, it's not really personal. Yeah. Yeah. You know you know how many people I want to get jobs and like I push and push and push and I'm like, this person's awesome, this person's awesome. And you know, for whatever reason, like the person doesn't get that slot. Now, what tends to happen though, if you really impress the team, they'll come around six months later and say, Hey, Ozzy, there's this other spot. I know you know you might not be available or what have you, but there's a position. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's all types of things going on in the background. They can oh, yeah. especially now in the middle of COVID, like I've been working on positions that are frozen, you know, one minute they're interviewing about to go to an offer. And then it's like, oh, we didn't get the contract or it's frozen and all different yeah. types of things happening. But I can't divulge all of that information to the candidate, unfortunately. All I can say is we thought you were awesome. You're, you know, you're you're at the top of the list for when this reopens or, you know, but right now we have like these business implications. And unfortunately the worst thing to do actually is to bring you on or bring a person on and then got to let them go in like six weeks. Like that's even yeah. worse. Right. Mm -hmm. so you want to be in a situation. Yeah. Okay. So goodness, we had 39 minutes and <laughs> I knew this was going to go long. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Okay, couple of couple of comments here. Uh, let's see, couple comments. Um, Rolanda says, "I'm so proud of you, Stellar." You. Stellar views. Hi, Ozzy. And then Hi. they want to know: Do you have any advice for students trying to break into cybersecurity right out of college? 
All right, all right, all right. So advice for students trying to break into cybersecurity right out of college. So first of all, um, you need to show some kind of initiative, right? So there is something I usually do, actually is um, Kirsten Brigger, she put up this blog about, you know, different domains into cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. I share that with anyone that asked me that question. So you need to figure out where do my skills lie? Or maybe if you're like me, who has always been very curious, you want to be in a in a domain of infosec that actually allows your curiosity to run haywire, because that's the only thing that will give you fulfillment. So that's one way to find. You need to find one or two areas or domains that you want to focus your interest in. Then when you do that, you can go out and look for learning materials on YouTube. You can reach out to people on Twitter, ask them questions, you know, because we understand how hard it is to get in. We understand how broken the hiring is right now. So there's lots of people who are in here. You know, it might look like we are helpless because we can't necessarily say, hey, you need a job? Go on, take it. You know, we can't. But what we can do is provide support. We can tell you this is what is going on in the field. This is what you need to know. So that way, when you get an interview, you're interviewed for a role, you're able to say right up, like, I've been, you know, I mean, I don't have a job yet, but this is what I've been doing on my own time. I have a VM set up, you know, so I have lots of VM set up. I do this. I keep up with InfoSec news and all of that stuff just to show that you have some sort of initiative. So that's the first thing I'll, you, I would suggest you do as a student, you know, out of college trying to break into cybersecurity, take some initiative, try to figure out what it is that you'd like to do, which domains you want to focus on. Then once you do that, that's the easiest part. Then you go and, you know, ask questions. You can chat up any random person, you know, like, hey, what do you think I need to do? What do you think I need to do? We can point you to resources. One thing you don't want, one thing you should not expect from anyone is for, any, for people to spoon feed you and tell you, hey, do this, do that. No. We will just will probably just point you to resources that align with whatever interests you have. You know, you're not going to be spoon fed because if you expect that, you'll be very disappointed. And even if you have someone who spoon feeds you, when you get into the field and realize that, you have to do a lot of research on your own. You have to do a lot of things by yourself without anyone telling you you are going to be lost. You know, so that's the first thing. You know, and if you have cyber meetups in your school. That's a very good thing. You know, you want to join them, talk to your professors, professors who maybe have a few who are in who are knowledgeable about the field. You know, another thing you can do is participate in CTFs. Oh my God, CTFs. While I was in school, one of my professors introduced me to National Cyber League CTF. You know, I will say that, um, I mean, in spite of all of the things I learned in school, that's it. Doing that CTF two, three times in a row enabled me to learn about a lot of tools in cybersecurity, a lot of the domains, you know, actually sharpened my skills. So do CTFs. So I think three things I've said, figure out what areas you want to major in, then reach out to professors, people in your network or whatever, ask them questions about these things, gather as much resources as you can, learn, set up VMs or whatever you need to do to learn more about this subject domain you've chosen and then do CTFs. It helps a lot. It's like it takes you right and it tells you to solve this, you need to use this tool. Then all of a sudden you're learning about a new tool and then you find out that this tool is also useful in many other situations. So those are the three basic things. And while you're applying for jobs, I might sound like a broken record, but persist, persist. If you need encouragement, reach out to someone, talk to somebody. Because it can be hard, okay? 
So reach out to someone, ask for help, ask for encouragement, ask for anything. When I have people reaching out to me, I, at times I feel very helpless, you know, because I can't hand you a job. I don't have that to give. However, what I have to give is my experience. I can encourage you, inspire you. And if you think your problem is you don't know what job descriptions to look out for when you're applying for jobs, people who are in the field will be able to tell you that, okay, these are the ones you apply for. So what I do sometimes is, um, what I do sometimes is I would look for job applications myself and send them out and say, this is what you should be looking for. I would even take time out of my day to send you multiple job applications because it's very tough. I know what I know what I went through and it breaks my heart when I see other people doing that. So I try to go out of my way to help as much as I can. Yes, I said CTFs. CTFs captured the flag competitions. So that's what I said. Capture the flag. That's yeah. what it means. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's such good advice. Um, Ozzy, I think that people are unaware of the level of um knowledge that can be gained by doing those competitions. Yeah. So the capture the flag competition is very, very, very important. Um, and then also a couple of points that you made about being in, being a part of, if you're in the university, joining the clubs, you know, making sure you're, um, you know, connecting with the professors. So, because it's all about networking. It's all about the network. And what happens is employers will go to those clubs and pick, they want, they want the leaders. So they'll go and reach out to the president of the cybersecurity club and, you know, pluck that person for the internship, look for that person, like tell them, hey, I want you to apply. Um, yeah. Because they know that that person is like very, very active in, mm -hmm. the, in, the, in the field. And then they know that this person is going to be a leader. Um, yeah or is already a leader, a student leader. So mm -hmm. Shaw says, um, Shaw Briggs had another question here. And Shaw, I am actually right in the middle of doing research on this right this second. I This morning I downloaded some information around uh, salaries. So Shaw says, how much do cybersecurity jobs with clearances versus non-clearances pay? And is there a difference? Um, Shaw, I would answer that by saying that it's, it's typically case by case. Um, I literally this morning, like four hours ago, downloaded an up um, a new compensation, um, some compensation details from clearance jobs. So clearance jobs has some sub comp details and I am literally looking at it right here and it talks about how top secret uh, candidates on average, they, they're talking about the, the changes in um, compensation and this is the Washington DC metro area I'm looking at, but they have them for multiple major cities. They have them for, um, what do they have going on here? I literally just pulled this up. They have them for Washington DC, um, North Carolina, Texas, Virginia, Colorado, Florida. So multiple states in the US um, and then the various clearances. And so the one that I have pulled up right here just happens to be the Washington DC metro one. And it talks about like, for example, um, the uh, average, I believe, um, compensation for a top secret, you know, security analyst. And I don't know that, I don't know how much experience you need or what have you, but this is like one number they put in and it's $104,000, which is the 2020 compensation. And if you have a top secret with clearance with an SCI, it goes up to about 118000 So in comparison to um, the private sector, it's, it's interesting because um, the private sector 
tends to pay more, um, but it's so case by case and it's a little bit nuanced. So depending on the types of roles, you can come in a little bit um, a little bit more on the private sector versus like typical government sector stuff, but it's it's really case by case. And if you have, if you don't have a clearance, it's very very difficult to get clearances. So that's it's, I mean that's a, a whole different um, a whole different conversation around clearances. Do you know anything? Well, um, Ozzy, you're an international student, and most of the time to have a U.S. clearance, you have to be a U.S. citizen. So. Yeah, so I don't even touch any of yeah. those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually got to be a U.S. citizen for that. Um, Clarence Vereen says, very informative. I think it's when I talked about the H-1B stuff, but uh, thank you, Clarence, and um, Ozzy's experience too. And then uh, Exhauste, I believe, is the name. It says, bravo, inspiring about Ozzy's experience. Um, Ozzy, before we get to this other question, um, I want you to talk about your experience getting into... Um, with all those resumes. So you had, you told me upwards of probably 400 applications that you yeah. put in over the course of like six or so months, five months trying to break in. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like? <laughs> well, for me, it was a game of numbers. And I got varying advice from different people who are like, hey, Taylor, you're resume to certain rules. I'm like, ain't nobody got that time. <laughs> you know? So for me, it was a game of numbers. Okay. I would fine tune, I would fine tune my applications depending on, you know, I just, I was looking for a way and, and Katia does a very, like, this is, this is way up in her alley. Like she finds a way to connect your previous work experience with what you're trying to do in security. She's very good at that, you know? So that was one advice that she gave me that stuck with me. So I would modify my resume. I would look at it and be like, okay, so if I were a recruiter, would I look on my own past experience, the way I have written it and see a connection to this cybersecurity thing I was trying to do. So I didn't have, I, I, I wasn't that person who had like a folder of multiple resumes saying resume, Amazon, resume, Google, resume. No, it was the one resume for every single one because I was I, I had no idea just how wide this field was. Everything I'm saying now, I, I only say it because this is knowledge I got after getting into the field. Before I got into the field, I didn't know any of this. And that's the reason why I like to help people who are trying to break in and let them know that, hey, this is what it looks like in here. So you're better advised on the outside how to get in. So it's, it's, I had no idea how wide the field was. All I knew was, I know this tool. I know this tool. I know this tool. I know this tool. I took these courses in school. I'm passionate about security. I really want to do this. And I just dumped everything in my resume. So it was basically me leaving the work up to whoever was looking at my resume to figure out, okay, based on what you've written, it might be a good fit here. You know, but for me, all I wanted to do was to churn out those numbers, like send those resumes out 20, 30, 50 per day. You know, as soon as I graduated school, it became like a full-time job for me. Like I'll wake up in the morning. Hey, good morning, everyone. Have breakfast. I'm at my computer sending out resumes, sending out applications, you know. So for me, it was impractical to have to tailor my resume for each job role because if you're like me sending out 20 applications per day, you're going to have... 20 times 5, 100 different resumes. That is a lot of work. 
you know so i didn't the, all i did in my resume was to draw a link between my past experience with what i wanted to do then show how everything i had learned would be useful in this thing i'm trying to do my tools my knowledge and everything the cts i had done i just tried to put it in that security positive light you know and and this is why i really appreciate my my manager he was a hiring manager actually for when i interviewed at my company chris matheson very awesome guy so we during the interview it was more like a discussion rather than do you know this do you know that do you know this and that makes you feel like you don't even know anything do you even deserve to be here it was more like a discussion you know it was able to I was able to talk about the things that, you know, that drove me, like my passion and everything, you know. And then at the end of it, it was like, well, from what I see, it looks like you're just trying to get your foot in the door. I'm like, yes, somebody freaking gets it. Finally, you know, and he saw that relief on my face. And I, I, I'm very, very grateful. He, he was, I would say he was that one traveler that opened up the door. and was like, oh, man, you look tired and hungry. Come in, we'll get you something to eat. So he opened the door for me into my current role, and I'm very, very grateful for that. That's awesome. And he sounds like the you know the kind of leader anyone would want to work for because when you are interviewing, it should be a conversation. It should be understanding about your passions and not like just a one-sided you know drill or you feel like you're you know being interrogated, which is I've heard that come through before. Yeah. Um, and another thing, another point that you made about what Katia does, which I think is fantastic because I agree with that with that philosophy of like one resume, really just trying to make sure that you have packed it with all of the experiences that you need um, and everything that comes from the different job when you see the various job descriptions, because it is hard to keep track of dozens and hundreds. Oh, I tweak this for this and I tweak that. Um, there's another, there's a website though that I, I told to uh, another group um, a few days ago. It's called Job Scan. Dot .io. I thought it was Jobvite, but it's Jobvite is actually an applicant tracking system. It's yeah. Jobscan, and Jobscan is great for that. You can put your resume in, you put your, the job in, and it tells you kind of where you stand in relation to that job. Like if you if your resume would rise to you know the top of the queue, so to speak. Oh, yeah. um, Fantastic. Ozzy, here's one more question here because we're at 54 minutes. Uh, Reginald wants to know, how do you get off the help desk and step into cyber? Mm, okay. Um, I, I, I do know a couple of people who were who started off at help desk into cyber, but I wasn't one of those people, you know, because, I mean, you look at me. I came off of, I was a chemical engineer while in school worked in the bank for a while, so about three and a half years before coming, you know, doing my master's degree in cybersecurity. Now, imagine you were in that position, you know, in your mind is like, at this point, I'm not here for games. I'm not playing. And they're like, hey, guys, this is what I have done. I have a master's in cybersecurity. And then someone tells you, start from help desk. How would you feel? Okay, because... Someone advised, someone advised, I put up like an SOS one day and then someone was like, hey, maybe you should start from help desk. I was like, what? Like, do I look like I'm here to play? Like, do you even know my story? And I get where the advice came from. However, it was very, very impractical in my case. Number one being that I'm an international student. If I'm doing a help desk job, there is no way I'm ever going to be able to justify that. That won't kick me out of status, you know. So how do you get off the help desk and step into cyber? So from people that I have talked with, 
the help desk is actually an excellent role for you to, you know, gain insight into what your company does, especially with regards to IT and security. So, I mean, in your role, your role is very important. It gives you that insight. Since you're trying to get into cyber, a good way would be to, to, to leverage, you know, the people at your company. Find out who the security people are, you know, talk with them. Whenever you get any free time, talk with them, discuss with them, tell them, hey, this is what I'm on the help there. This is what I would like to do. You know, that's like the easiest way. You're already in a company, right? I'm assuming that you're going to have wonderful people there. So that's why I'm giving this advice. If that is not your case, you take, you take, you know, laws into your hands, reach out to people out there. You know, you can reach out to me. I might be able to help you. I might be able to connect with, connect you with one or two people who might be able to, you know, better advise you on that. So speak with them, you know, try to get in their face like, hey, what's going on? What are you guys doing? Is there any little work I can do? I can take up, you know, for you. Because every little thing you do, you know, gets you that much deeper into security. Um, one of my managers I used to work with, she actually started not from help desk, but from a totally unrelated field entirely. She was in field services you know, but she put herself out there as a person who was interested in, you know, what was going on in um, threat management and response, you know, and, there, and then something happened and then she's like, oh my God, I need to see this. And then the way she gave it attention, the way she gave it all of the attention it needed, a couple of weeks after they're like, hey, we should probably get her on our team. And just like that, she got into InfoSec, you know, so I would advise the same thing for you. You know, so talk with people at your company who are in security, like try to get in their faces. What do you need done? What would you like to do? What are things I can do, you know, at my level that would not, you know, compromise what you're doing? Get your foot in the door. And of course, you also want to be learning on the side, you know, showing some initiative. Like I said before, when asked about advice for students breaking into cybersecurity. So that's pretty much it. I say ditto. Exactly. I don't have anything else to add. I think that's the exact correct advice. Everyone that we've spoken to, the people who we've seen become successful have been folks who have transitioned within their current companies. It's one of the easiest ways to do it for sure. So you're absolutely right. And nobody ever turns down free um, help. <laughs> inside of a company. So you got, can I come help you? <laughs> so Reginald yeah. says, thanks so much for the insight. You okay. My kids are making a ton of noise. Let me um, add in what uh, Exhauste says. I agree with that one. It's virtually impractical to tailor your resume. So he's talking about when Ozzy talks about creating all those resumes. It's impractical to tailor your resume to each job you're applying for. All you want is the manager to be willing to give you a shot and a lot of luck. Absolutely. Just one shot, just one yes, and a lot of luck. And that's one of the reasons why I feel helpless when people are saying I'm trying to break in because, I mean, depending on who you are, it could be that, oh, you wrote this fantastic tool, you found like a gazillion bugs, and they're like, oh, this guy's a genius, let's get him in. But that's like one out of maybe 100,000 people, you know, and... So out of that pool of 100,000 people, it's like you're just trying to apply. You're just doing what you can. You're learning on your own, but you need just one person to give you a shot. And it's a lot of luck because I keep asking myself, what would have happened if, you know, as depressed as I was, I saw that role, that opening on LinkedIn. And I was like, oh, I can't do this whole thing. You know what? I don't care. You know, just like that. And I probably won't be here today. 
you know so he was it's it's really it comes down to luck and that sucks because there should be a procedure for these things but that's how it is anyway but there are wonderful people you know like renee like myself and a couple of other people we know who are willing to you know help in whatever little way we can to provide insights whenever you need to try and get you in you know because there's a place for everyone you know it doesn't matter your background it doesn't matter your degree it doesn't matter if you are lit it doesn't matter if whatever <laughs> it doesn't matter there's a place for you here we need all the help we can get <laughs> lit that's so funny um <laughs> you are an inspiration to so many people i am so happy that we um were, were able to get you on here to talk about your experience, especially for international students and folks that are coming because I know the struggle, I've seen it, I've been on, I personally have not experienced it, but I have been on the other side, um, you know, trying to see what we can do. Um, And a lot of times from a recruiting perspective, hands are tied because that's way above, you know, when when these companies make these decisions, it's just handed down to us like, hey, you could do this or you cannot. Um, So being in that position, I know how much more challenging it is. So you have your regular, um, you know, U.S. citizens trying to get roles in the U.S. And then when you're an international student, it's so much more difficult. So So, much more. So much much more. 450 numbers don't lie. 450 applications. 450 (laughs) applications. And Ozzy did it. So you can too. That's the goal here. So Ozzy, any final words of advice before you, um, before we leave? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I sound like a broken record at this point, but the, the key here is persevere. Okay. So, I mean, don't believe those people who, whatever age group you are, you, you may be in your late twenties, in your thirties, in your forties, your fifties, and then someone comes and tells you, I knew I was supposed to get into InfoSec because it was my passion from the time I was born. That is a freaking lie, okay? Because many years ago, people were doing security when security wasn't even a thing and they didn't even know what it was, you know? So no matter what age you are trying to make that switch, like, it is never too late, okay? There is a place for you here. Like, don't mind those guys who are trying to act. You know, if you haven't worked in IT for a while, if you haven't played with switches, if you don't have CVs, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. For those kind of people, that is all that they have going for them. But you probably have a lot of other things going on for you in your life. But InfoSec is that one extra thing that gets you excited, that is going to make your life fulfilling. So I would say for those of us trying to, those of us trying to get in, um, persevere, be persistent, you know, and build this community of people around you who will be able to give you that encouragement. For me, it started with Katoria Henry, started with Katia Dean, you know, expanded my network. I had my family, my friends around me, you know, so you want to surround yourself with those people who will prop you up. Then when you get up there, do not forget to extend the hand down to help others. You know, you see far because you stand on the shoulders of giants. And that is definitely my case. That is the case of any other person who is in there, you know. So persist, persevere, reach out, send a message, even if it's to a random person. Some people don't do much on LinkedIn, but if you feel like you are dying, you're drowning, reach a hand out. Someone might just reach out and pull you out of wherever you are. 
Excellent advice, excellent inspirational advice. So thank you so, so much for being here with us on this Sunday. Um, you. you know, 11 lives in 11 days, this is nuts. Uh, <laughs> and we will see you tomorrow, folks, for another episode of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. And tomorrow's Mondays with Dan. So yeah. see you tomorrow. Bye, Thanks, everybody. Everyone. Bye, everyone.